Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Welcome back to the Digital Workplace Conference. Oh man, we're going to do that again. We're not a conference. (laughs) Here we go. Take two. Welcome back to the Digital Workplace Podcast. Today, our guest is Anna Nedge. She is the founder of No Man. She is the convener of the Social Now Conference. Anna, great to have you on the show. Thank you, Neil. Thank you so much for the invitation to be here. It's great to be a guest in the podcast that we usually listen to, so it's great. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. We've been friends for a while. We've connected maybe a few years back, it seems like, and uh, have been following each other's stuff for a while. So it's great to talk publicly like this, right? Yes, yes, indeed. Well, good. We're going to get more into what you do and your history. But first, as with all of our guests, as you know, we do need to confirm that you are a real human. Your capture question today is, what do you miss most about childhood? Um, that's that's a great one. I, I guess it's um, spending time with my grandmother and mm. uh, possibly spending long time being bored or getting bored for not having any screens in front yeah. of me. That felt good looking in hindsight. (laughs) That's true. There are so many of those road trips that are just like, you're just staring out the window. That's all there is to do. Yes. Yes. And that um, was weird and felt uh, very boring at the time, but now feels great to have that privilege of being disconnected from the world in that sense. The privilege to be bored. (laughs) That's a whole show in itself. Well, great. And tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are now. Okay, so I have a degree in computer science, and as I usually say, I derailed to the soft side. Hmm. Uh, So I still work uh, a lot with uh, platforms, digital platforms, but mostly in the sense of the support they can provide for organizations to improve their knowledge sharing practices, their internal communications, help um, build communities, so that's very much my focus nowadays. So I'm a, I'm a consultant now. I've uh, worked as a cultural change manager in a, in a British bank. I worked in the National Health Service in the, in the UK as well as a knowledge manager. But now I'm very happy with, uh, again, another privilege that I feel, which is uh, working with different com- um, companies and helping them with their knowledge management efforts. Okay, so for someone who is unfamiliar to that term knowledge management, how do you explain that to them briefly? Well, for me, knowledge management is uh, really the management of our organizational processes, uh, people and infrastructure, which uh, is what I call the three pillars, uh, all in the sense of improving knowledge processes to help organizations achieve their goals. So knowledge management sometimes is seen as a fad for me, it's something which is very, very anchored on uh, helping the organization achieve their objectives. So uh, that's the only reason for doing it. And um, in terms of the knowledge processes, is about what can we do inside the organization to improve how organizations acquire knowledge. Maybe it's about innovation. Maybe it's about hiring new um, employees. Maybe it's about learning opportunities and development opportunities but also how they make that knowledge circulate and be shared 
making it accessible, uh, validating it, which is also really important, and finally being able to use it. How what what can we do to make knowledge uh, knowledge available and create the right culture, for instance, for people to want to use it, as opposed to reinventing the wheel, for instance. Well, let me jump back even to our question about being a kid and a child. It feels like knowledge, like from the time before you're in school, you know, you're just out learning stuff and, and picking up on things. And it's very unstructured, but you're still learning a lot, figuring out how to do it. And then eventually you're put into more of a structured way of learning. And uh, this is the knowledge you have to have. And then that kind of goes for a while. How do you see knowledge management in terms of a, a company life cycle like that? Is there a time like in a startup stage when knowledge is just kind of passed around unstructured like that, but it, you're still learning versus where it seems more regimented and bigger enterprises or it's too unwieldy once you get to that, you know, quote unquote, university level? How would you make that comparison? Uh, well, I think the learning phase is ongoing. It happens whether you're a small company or a big company, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And the fact that it's like a wieldy or not, it just doesn't really matter because what it is important for, for me, at least when you're working with knowledge management, is about creating these processes and the infrastructure so that knowledge management becomes part of the way you work rather than something that needs to be taken care of. Unfortunately mm. or fortunately, I still see that knowledge management is something that needs to be formalized uh, because thinking that is uh, everyone's responsibility, so everyone will do it. Uh, it's um, it's it's a lie. It's uh, something we say <laughs> to, to fool ourselves, I guess. Uh, but yeah, ideally, it's uh, you create this infrastructure and these processes so that it becomes part of everything that each person does, and that means. If you feel that you have um, a knowledge gap, um, you just define what you need to do to learn, and then you learn, and then you share. And if you're working on a project, you make sure that you acquire the relevant knowledge before you start a project, but then you share it during the project, and you share it at the end of the project. So it's, it's just all about these things. And it doesn't have to be... Um, something really uh, scary or cumbersome or a lot of additional work is just about making it part of what you do. Um, and just to give you a very, very simple example, uh, an organization uh, had um, a process in place so that every person who wanted to start a would have to fill in this form saying what was the aim of the project, what would be the budget, the resources. They mm. just added one question there, or actually two questions. Uh, what have we done previously that can inform this project of yours? And who can you talk with uh, or have a conversation with about that learning? So it's just these little things that kind of make sure that this knowledge the, the habits or the principles or the practices around knowledge are part of everything the organization does. That's brilliant. I find that, like you said, it does need to be formalized because we do kid ourselves to think that we are actually learning from all these things that we, we implement. We're not sharing either. So I think the formalization and the sharing ac across teams is essential and something that we just have to be honest with ourselves. It's, it's not normal or not natural for us to do. And we're quite bad at it. Um, what do you feel like are some of those signals that help us to realize that we need to take knowledge management more seriously? Uh, well, so many. Um, 
One, which is even a, a very selfish one, if you if if you think about it, is you looking at a team uh, in a different department or in different office in a different country doing exactly what you've done in the past, and you and failing to do so, or even committing the same mistakes uh, that mm-hmm. you've committed before, um, or doing it worse than you've done. Uh, and, and this from a very selfish perspective and at a time when we talk about so much about employee engagement and satisfaction mm-hmm. is really frustrating. It's, it's the organization um, ignoring your own knowledge, your own work and your own experience. So that's from a very selfish perspective. But if you think of the organization itself, that's a wasted, of, a wasted opportunity of using the learning from previous projects uh, probably repeating a lot of the work that was done, uh, maybe committing the same errors. So that's wasted money. And it's not um, a coincidence that a lot of the most well-known projects around knowledge management are in the oil sector mm. because the, um, the the wins or the potential losses of not doing knowledge management properly are huge. Yeah. It can mean lives being wasted or being lost rather, uh, resources being wasted, a lot of time in terms of, uh, of, of projects that take um, a lot longer than necessary. So there's a lot of uh, money uh, involved um, and knowledge management can really prove beneficial there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And a lot of software companies you hear, you know, fail often, fail fast, all those kinds of things. But we really talk about how do we actually learn from those mistakes? And we feel like it, it's fine because we'll just do something new. It didn't hurt anybody. But a lot of times it does. And you, your mention of the oil industry is a great example of that. Yeah. And it can hurt people in a different way, like in the motivation way. So if you feel that you know so much and your company is totally ignoring your knowledge, that can be feel very hurtful for some, from, for some people. So that, that is also really important to consider when looking at these things. Uh, people yeah. feel right to feel valued um, and add value in that way as well. Definitely. I, to me, there's a difference between like saying, hey, we have this data around us. We talk about big data a lot, but knowledge is actually seeing all that data connected in a certain way and being able to pass that on. It's great. Very much so. Yes. Yes, totally. So what have been some of the trends and shifts you've seen as knowledge management? I mean, for to some extent, it's always been digital, but the new tools that are out there now that people are working more remotely than they had been before, what are some of the changes and shifts you've seen as knowledge management has become more digital? I don't know if um, if I see a lot of changes, at least conscious changes. Uh, what I've seen um, certainly since the pandemic started and so many people started to work remotely, uh, using these digital platforms as uh, the anchor, as the basis for their work. It's a huge opportunity for knowledge management because lots of the interactions or many of the interactions that used to happen maybe on your lift ride or on the corridors or on the by the water, the famous water coolers, um, those conversations are now happening online and many of them in written format. Uh, and that those are nuggets or can be nuggets they're unstructured, so they're still, uh, from a knowledge management perspective, a lot could more could be done to make mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. Uh, valuable knowledge and information. 
but there's already something better than before because it's in written format, it's recorded. And sometimes, and that's why I was saying knowledge management doesn't have to be a cumbersome thing. Sometimes it's not just necessarily to have the knowledge recorded, but it's to know about who you need to go to to get access to the knowledge. So if you have um, something in a shared team space where you document or you have this conversation about why we should do this and not that, that is helpful information to two years, three years, four years down the line. You can trace back your decision-making process and know the reasons and who was involved in those decisions. Uh, not from a blame perspective, but from I can talk to Mike or Neil because they were involved in this process. And that's a great opportunity because this is something which is really hard to get in people's habits and routines normally. But now they're kind of doing it because it's the easiest way. Yeah. And that's why the, synchro- the asynchronicity of these tools becomes so important and such a rich opportunity. But um it's uh, it's all down to culture, organizational culture. And uh, um, we have seen, I, I do a social collaboration maturity benchmark um, and uh, we've looked at the data and what we see is that people are do, using these platforms a lot more, but they're doing a lot of uh, requests for information and answering questions in direct messages because the culture is not there yet for them to feel comfortable to respond or to ask questions in an open uh, space. Yeah. So yeah. that that is also something really interesting. So that's why I don't see that many advances in knowledge management as a result, but there's a huge opportunity there because of these platforms. I feel like every company is also, they have a different answer to where do you keep all the knowledge? Like, do you just put it into a shared drive? Do you you put it into uh, some other work platform? Do you attach it to meeting notes? And how can people access that later? Do you see any good solutions that are good for every team out there in terms of where to keep this knowledge so that it is accessible and not just a huge dumping ground? I don't think there's a, a right way of doing it. It depends a lot on the type of people who work in the organization, the size of the organization, the type of platforms they have, and the culture in the organization as well. And sometimes it's more about making sure that the knowledge is spread by a large number of people so mm-hmm. that they can tap into it when required. And if I don't know, I know to go to for information or for that knowledge or for that experience rather than having it documented. Because there's also many organizations who have very, very structured approaches to knowledge management. Um, they document uh, document lessons learned and good practices and best practices, which is a, a term I hate, actually, but uh, <laughs> they, they record those. Uh, but then when it comes to the moment of using them, they're totally ignored or they cannot be accessed uh, or they're out of date. So this just, for me, Um, I think it needs to be very simple. It needs to be to create conditions so that if Anna, me, I want to start a project and I don't know the answers, I have the habit of asking around and someone will tell me, Neil has done that in the past, so I can go and talk to you. So if that's 
that's a, a, a very informal way of doing it, but sometimes is the best possible way of doing it because otherwise it doesn't get done. So I don't know if that answers the question. No. Yeah, and that speaks to exactly it. I think in a lot of places, knowledge management was, you know, she sits over there. If you want to know how to do it, you go talk to her. Or it was Bill over here. It was Rahul or whoever it was. Like that was where everything sat was in that person's brain and where it was. And there, there's a brilliance to that because a human is able to quickly find that information in their head and, and tell you exactly what happened. But it's also dangerous because what happens when that person leaves? What happens uh, if you can't access that person right away? So uh, yeah, making that transition from these uh, organic biological storehouses um, to also having some digital ones, that's a big transition. That's um, it's certainly, it's a dangerous thing. And that's why the role that these platforms are having at the moment is so key because if, if Neil is the only person who has that knowledge and if I ask a question um, to you uh, on these platforms and you answer to me through the platform, now all of a sudden that knowledge, that information is, is documented for other people to, to tap into. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, is, is what I was saying, is just creating uh, processes, moments, activities that encourage that knowledge to be shared, uh, yeah. to, to be accessible to a wider group of people. Because what you actually can document is, is just a tiny portion of what you effectively know. That's true. <laughs> and what you effectively know is a lot and what you can share, uh, either by doing a presentation or by guiding me to do my work, my job, is a lot richer than anything that you will be able to document. So creating yeah. these opportunities, either by mentoring, by budding systems, by um, doing lunchtime conversations, um, just uh, encouraging people to write internal blogs, those are informal settings where people usually open up a lot more and are actually mm. able to share a lot more than they would do in a very structured format. It's a great point because, I mean, you could be having a product meeting and you document the end saying, hey, we decided to go with feature B. And that's the end of the documentation. But actually, if you talk to people in the meeting, they're like, oh, man, that was a horrible meeting. Like there's all this stuff going on and like. I, everyone wanted this one, but then this person, you know, ramrodded the discussion and it just went through all these places. And that's kind of the richness that we miss out on. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you not only get the outcome of the meeting, but you get all the thinking process uh, to get to that decision. And the thinking process is actually where knowledge is applied. Uh, mm -hmm. So you start to get to the roots of that knowledge. Uh, and that's where the, the beauty of it comes from. And let's take a little shift. By the time this podcast releases, it'll just be a couple of weeks away. But you're in the ninth edition of Social Now, which is a conference you've been running for a long time. And you say it's always a unique conference and everything's unique these days. It seems like now that we're in this post-COVID world. So tell us more about the conference and what's going on this year. Yeah, Social Now is unique. I can tell you. <laughs> So what I've done, uh, and especially since I'm not a conference organizer, I, I just happened to organize a conference. Um, what I've done was to embed lots of knowledge management principles and practices into, into the design of the conference. So the conference um, is anchored on storytelling. So there's a fictitious company, which I created. And although fictitious, it suffers from the real pains that many organizations uh, suffer. So 
too many meetings, too many emails, um, junior people who don't know how to get the help from uh, the more senior colleagues, uh, people repeating mistakes from projects, the things we've been talking about really, and, uh, yeah. and some others. And um, so one of the um, one of the characters, she's the of this fictitious company. She even blogs about these uh, these uh, struggles, these challenges. And what happens during the conference is that uh, pretty much all the sessions are about offering help to these fictitious company. Uh, so we have uh, consultants offering advice on practical things that uh, the company can do. Um, you have uh, a peer assist session, which is peer assist is a knowledge management technique where you have people from real companies offering advice for this fictitious company, which is about to start a, an adoption program for their platforms. Um, and we also have the vendors uh, and what we do with the vendors from different um, uh, different tools. So this year we're going to have Mango Apps, Ichi Craft Boards, uh, Microsoft 365, GuruScan and Swoop Analytics. And um, what they do is they cannot even use slides. They have to do a live demo of their tool telling us about a day in the life of the fictitious company. Uh, so the, we have a uh, lot of uh, role play of um, em embodying some of the characters and telling us how they go through their their day um, and using these uh, these platforms, bringing them alive. And uh, we have a panel uh, they act the, as the management board of the fictitious company. So they ask the tough questions to the vendors after their presentations and uh, how much does that cost and uh, how is that different from the platform we have? Or um, and, um, and actually, uh, because everyone is afraid of having the sales pitch uh, presentations from the vendors, participants have flags and they can raise flags uh, if they feel that the presentation... <laughs> He's getting too salesy. <laughs> and uh, the rule is two flags and the vendor is out of, off stage. <laughs> so wow. it, uh, it never happened. We had one flag being raised. <laughs> Do you have like the big hook ready to like drag him off the stage, right? Yeah, well, unfortunately, it never happened. It's, it's, uh, it's quite funny because vendors get really scared. And yeah. uh, they get to the, the room and they ask, and uh, I thought the flags were just metaphorical. No, they're actual flags. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's um the conference is um it is a lot about creating the great conversations and making all the stuff practical by anchoring it on a real company. I yeah. as a participant, I hate when I go to conferences and I feel like, oh yeah, lots of inspiration, lots of big ideas, but what do I do tomorrow? So the whole conference is to to make it um, participant-centered uh, and what are the, the value that I want to deliver to participants. And so that's uh, that's how it's unique. <laughs> Excellent. And it's live, right, this year? Yes, it's been uh, always um, a physical conference um, and um, a lot of the value comes exactly because of that. So I had a last, last edition was actually in 2019. Mm. I had to, to cancel 2020 and last year I decided to skip it altogether. And in 2019, I had this participant. She came from Brazil and she said to me, and this is like being in my living room having a great conversation with people from all over the world. So wow. 
that's the kind of uh, spirit I really want to create uh, at, uh, at the conference. Excellent. And it'll be in Portugal, correct? Yes, sunny Portugal. <laughs> Lovely. All year round, it's a great place to visit. So, Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> I'm not partial at all. <laughs> and uh, where should people go if they want to learn more about it? Uh, for the conference, is socialnow.org. And uh, it would be a pleasure to welcome everyone to, to Social Now. Uh, so it's a great place to be. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we will put those links in the show notes. Anna, thanks so much. It's been lovely to talk about this topic, such a big topic, and get excited about the conference too. Thank you very much, Neil. Thank you for the invitation. This has been the Digital Workplace Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to leave a review wherever you found Go to thedigitalworkplace.com and sign up for our twice-a-month newsletter. It keeps you up to date on the best ways to build a level 5 digital workplace. Music for the show is provided by City of Sound. I'm your host, Neil Miller. Keep moving forward.